0: Thank you very, very much. We're starting a new series today for the month of May, focused on the life of Elijah. And the uh, title of the whole series is Elijah, a man just like us, just like you and me. And today we're looking at 1 Kings 17 in particular. And the topic we're going to look at from that passage is where where is God when our survival is threatened, when we feel deeply threatened, vulnerable and, uh, and the future is uncertain where is god that's uh what we're looking at here today so before we get into what i have to share share let me ask you uh what do you know about elijah
1: he had a big um dispute with the prophets at the time he um, did um, and he called the they were cutting themselves and um going around like red indians if you like <laughs> and um you know they still couldn't bring the fire down from heaven and Elijah
0: brought it down. Okay, so a big confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Yeah, that's right, Oge Asagi, same thing.
1: He he had moments of immense faith and moments of no faith, just like us.
0: (laughs) Yes, just like us, right. The peaks and the troughs were very extreme with Elijah, and we will talk about it. Taken
2: to heaven in the whirlwind.
0: Taken up to heaven in the whirlwind. I
2: think he was a fast runner, maybe. (laughs)
0: <laughs> olympic athlete second Tim, second kings two we'll get to that later on in the series
1: he was a wanted man wasn't he the king at the, um, at the time didn't like him at all and and the, yeah so his life was constantly in danger
0: he was a wanted man if they were doing it those days they'd have been putting up posters all over israel wanted this man uh one of the greatest prophets Taiwo, performed seven great miracles that's very interesting. You're right. Seven, uh, which is uh, significant, but we'll have to come back to that another time. The chariot of fire, Esther. Yeah, that's right. Second Kings two. He he, got he taken appeared out. with
1: um. Mo- he appeared with Moses with Jesus.
0: Yes, that's right. So, mount up the mountain. Uh, Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with, hung out with Jesus.
1: Um, I'm going to have to look it up. I, uh, perhaps Dad, you might know um isn't there a jewish celebration where a seat is still put out for elijah
0: ah I yes right. okay that's I correct because that no, to- the idea that elijah has still not because the prophecy is that elijah will come before the messiah and herald yeah. the messiah and so the jews still are waiting for the new elijah to emerge And what the New Testament tells us is that John the Baptist actually fulfilled that function. He was the Elijah to herald the Messiah. But yes, you're quite right, Becky. They do still have that um, idea. Mm. He passed on his mantle to Elisha with a double portion. That's right, Taiwo. Yep. And he had a disciple. Yes, uh, Simon called Elisha, who was also awesome. He was. Okay, let me play you a short video clip of uh, an excerpt from a Bible project video.
2: So by the time that he dies, Solomon resembles Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, more than he does his father, David. The next section of the book opens with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, acting just like his father. It's a very sad story of greed and lust for power. He tries to increase taxes for slave labor. And under the leadership of Jeroboam, the northern tribes reject this. They rebel and secede and form their own rival kingdom. And so now in the story, you have the southern kingdom, Judah, centered in Jerusalem with kings from the line of David. And now this new northern kingdom called Israel, whose capital will be Samaria eventually. Jeroboam also goes on to build two new temples to compete with Solomon's temple in the south. He puts a golden calf in each one to to represent the God of Israel. The connection to Exodus 32 and the golden calf, it's all quite explicit. From this point on, the story goes back and forth from north to south, tracing the fate of both kingdoms. Each one had about 20 successive kings. And as the author introduces each king, he evaluates their reign by a few criteria. Did they worship the God of Israel alone, or did they promote the worship of other gods? Did they deal with idolatry among the people, and did they remain faithful to the covenant like David, or do they become corrupt and unjust? And according to these criteria, the author finds no good kings in northern Israel, 0 for 20. And then in southern Judah, only 8 out of 20 get a positive rating, which connects to another huge purpose in this book. And that's to introduce the role of the prophets, key figures in Israel's history. So in the Bible, prophets were not fortune tellers. Rather, they spoke on behalf of the God of Israel, and they played the role of covenant watchdogs, which means they called out idolatry and injustice among the kings and the people. They were constantly reminding Israel of their calling to be a light to the nations, that they should obey the commands of the Torah, and so the prophets challenged Israel to repent and follow their God. In these center sections for each king, God then raises up prophets to hold them accountable. The most prominent prophets are the northern ones. Elijah and his disciple Elisha right here in the center of the book. Elijah was a wild man of a prophet living out in the desert and his arch nemesis was the northern king Ahab and his Canaanite wife Jezebel. Together these two had instituted the worship of the Canaanite god Baal over Israel. And so in a famous story Elijah challenged 450 prophets of Baal to a contest to see which god was real. So they both built altars and prayed to their gods but only the god of Israel answers with fire. After this, Ahab uses his royal power to murder an Israelite farmer and then steal his family's vineyard. And Elijah again confronts Ahab's injustice and he announces the downfall of his house. Elijah eventually passes the mantle of his prophetic leadership to a young disciple named Elisha who asks for two times the authority of Elijah. And what's fascinating here is how the author, he's recounted seven miraculous feats for Elijah and then he offers stories of 14... Acts of power from Elijah. Both prophets were clearly remarkable men, and they played the same role, confronting Israel's kings for idolatry and injustice. And ultimately, they were unsuccessful in turning Israel back from apostasy.
0: I'm really excited to bring this series together because I've often preached on parts of Elijah's life, but I've never looked at the totality of his life, and I've never preached through. The, his life and i don't think i've ever heard anybody else preach through his life so i think and i hope i'm learning things from this study i hope we're all going to today and uh, and learn something that'll be useful for us from uh, from his life so he is powerful yet very human as uh, we already talked about and he had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows he's somebody said he's a bit like uh elijah's a bit like an old testament superhero He spoke and acted in in ways that were powerful and miraculous, and he was taken up to heaven. Didn't experience death in the normal way, but also uh, when Jezebel threatened him, which we'll come on to another time, he just ran away and got terrified and got depressed. Highest of highs, and the lowest of lows, much like us at different uh, stages of our life, and maybe even right now. Maybe you're on a real high, maybe you're on a real low and you're just stuck and you don't feel like you've got any hope and where is God and we all have times when it seems like everything's swimming going swimmingly and we have other times when our very survival feels under threat and Elijah can understand us and I think what he learned in his relationship with God I hope can help us as well. And One of the other reasons why I wanted to look at Elijah is because of these highs and lows it fits together with the uh, teaching things we're doing this month in our videos on mental health and emotional well-being and spirituality and the men looked at one last week the women will be looking at the first one this coming wednesday and i think elijah is somebody who can also relate to those times of emotional challenge or even mental health issues i'm not saying elijah had a particular perhaps mental health diagnosis we could make not that but but that, that sense of instability and vulnerability that often comes with these things I think it's very significant, and in our culture and even in the church, we're faced with greater challenges to our emotional well-being and our mental health, maybe than ever before. It's been very interesting that as I've posted the videos about mental health and emotional well-being last week, and another one's coming up, uh, I've posted two of the same version, different versions of the same one. I've had more views and more comments on the podcast and the video than anything I posted for a very long time. So we know that. A lot of people are feeling very vulnerable right now and also as we come out of the pandemic and readjust to not quite the old life we used to have i think but a new version of the old life there are still a lot of uncertainties uh, going on so the first reason we're looking at elijah is because i think he can relate to us and we can relate to him and find strength from his relationship with god uh, through the highs and the lows. The second reason we're looking at Elijah is because of his relationship with Jesus or connection with Jesus, as I think it was it Danny mentioned. He was on the mountain uh, with Moses and Jesus in Luke chapter nine. They're up there on the mountain. They appeared. It says uh, in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. You remember? Interesting, Elijah. Is taken up in the chariot well because Jesus ascended into heaven there's some parallels there and an interesting bible study would be to look at the life of Elijah and the life of Jesus and looking for parallels anyway they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem and the third reason we're looking at Elijah is because he was a man of prayer when you read through the narrative of Elijah's life one of the emphases is his prayer life and of course that's one of the reasons why he's mentioned in the new testament in James chapter 5 a passage many of us will know which says that Elijah was a human being even as we are or uh, the older NIV translation just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And that's from james chapter 5 where james is encouraging people to pray with faith pray for the sick pray for the needy pray for whatever's going on and he cites the example of elijah so that's another reason why we're going to be looking at elijah because i think personally and i think you probably agree with me this is a time when prayer is so important there are so many things we've been going through that are challenging there's so many adjustments we're all making where is God in all this just hearing about what's going on in India with COVID and in our sister congregations over there so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are, are dying and where is God in all this we need prayer we need more than prayer as a thing we need God in prayer we need to connect with God in fresh and deeper and more powerful ways perhaps than we have recently there's an uncertain future so we need more prayer and connection with God so that's why we're looking at Elijah and I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I've already been enjoying studying it so that's what we have here so the first thing we're going to see in this passage going back to 1st Kings 17 so where are we starting here in 1st Kings 17 I think we're going to see two things today uh, that I want to bring out and I hope they're helpful firstly the first thing we see here is we see God's kindness we see God's kindness now back in the passage here in first Kings 17 it talks about Elijah the Tishbite by the way he just appears on the scene here there's no introduction no you know he was from this and that and here these were his parents it's just Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbite in Galilee said to Abraham, he's like right it's time for confrontation it's like God's had enough right Abraham, you've been going your own way for long enough it's time for me to send the Tishbite to have a chat with you and so he he sends Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and and Gilead, and he goes to Ahab and he says, As the Lord, and that's Yahweh here, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives. So he lives, he's not a dead God, he's not an absent God. As he lives, whom I serve, because in contrast to Baal, who's a made-up God and didn't live. But anyway, Yahweh, the God of Israel, which is supposed to be your God, by the way, forget about Baal. He's Yahweh's your God. The only reason you're here and the Israelites are here is because of Yahweh. But anyway. The Lord the God of Israel your God lives is not dead whom I serve right he's mine should be you serving him too but we'll get on to that there will be as a sign right neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word and God's told him to go and do this and say this to Ahab and says drought famine it's that's the situation because of the drought and famine of God in this land because you Ahab not being the king you're called to be So a great confrontation here right at the beginning and Elijah has a I think has a very strong sense of identity and this is something that's important for you and me. Right now how do we how do we process our identity as we go through struggles? Elijah's name means the Lord is my God. Eli, Yah, the Lord is my God. That's what his name means. Imagine that that's your name. My name is my name is the Lord is my God. Hi, nice to meet you. My name is, what's your name? My name is the Lord is my God. might sound a bit strange to us, but it's very deliberately. God has given him this name, I believe, and called him so that he could say to Ahab, I'm saying to you what you should be saying. You should be saying the Lord is my God. Every time he hears Elijah's name, you can imagine Ahab going a bit mad because he's, it's like ah that name again elijah the lord is my god the lord is his god should be my god but i don't want to let that in my head I, he's got i'm sure he's got some guilt we'll see later in the story not in in chapter 17 but later on he, he has some awareness of god and it must have been a a real pebble in his shoe every time elijah is either, either turns up like this out of the blue uninvited by the way or just um or someone mentions uh him to him he reminds ahab that, and he, this reminds Elijah in his name reminds him that his whole existence and identity is owed to the Lord you know I think in some ways perhaps as Christians we ought to change our name when we get baptized into Christ we should put Jesus as a middle name in there somewhere or Christian or something like that as a middle name you get an extra middle name because we're not no I'm no longer Malcolm cox malcolm colin cox my middle name i'm not only malcolm colin cox i'm malcolm colin christian cox or I'm malcolm colin belongs to jesus cox aren't i see that's this our name has so much means so much to us whether you like your the name your parents gave you or not it means so much but we've, we have a new identity and that's what elijah definitely has and he feels it strongly and i think it's one of the things that gives him the confidence To go and fulfill his first calling from the lord which is to go and confront not a neighbor who's annoying us not an old friend but the king king ahab who had the power of course to put elijah to death and he goes and he has a confrontation with him because baal who's the god that ahab is worshiping he's the god supposedly of storm fertility he's supposed to be present in the dew and the rain That's part of what Baal is supposed to do. And Yahweh, through Elijah, is directly challenging him and saying, you think Baal is in charge of the dew and the rain? Let me show you who's really in charge of the dew and the rain, okay? Uh, Elijah is issuing a challenge. It's like he's saying, okay, Ahab, come outside for a fight if you want one. Baal and Yahweh, we're going to see who wins this one. No problem. So Elijah has a lot of courage here very courageous to step out of his comfort zone to step away from his life in in um in tishba to to go to ahab and say it's time for a fight he doesn't know the outcome i mean for all he knows he's going to go and incur- and confront ahab and be killed some of the other prophets have been killed he doesn't know if he's going to be protected or not god hasn't told him you're going to be safe and uh, in fact also Elijah doesn't know the consequences of the famine on him either. He's he he doesn't know he doesn't know if he's going to be okay through this famine, this drought, uh, the lack of rain in the land. God hasn't told him go and pronounce this uh, famine in the land and go and confront Ahab. And a I won't let him kill you, and b I won't let you starve. God has not said that, and this is so true in our in our Christian lives all of the time. We don't know the exact outcome of living the Christian life, of living our principles, of living God's teachings and truth, of living differently from the world, of living out our morals that we believe are right from God's word. We don't know the outcome of that. God had made no promise about ravens feeding Elijah. He just said, Elijah, go to Ahab and I'll take care of the rest. I wonder if you're feeling especially vulnerable at the moment. I think Elijah must have been right there, standing in front of Ahab not knowing what's coming next. And the truth is he knew and we know from history an awful lot of those prophets were not protected in the same way, were they? They were not. Many of them died. Hebrews 11 talks a fair bit about that. But there's a different kind of safety from the physical safety that we so often crave. And that's the safety and security of being in God's love, knowing he loves us. That's the ultimate security, it's the ultimate safety. In Hebrews 13 verses five and six, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That last phrase, what can mere mortals do to me? That one sentence must have inspired not only people like Elijah, people in the New Testament, but people who followed Jesus uh, subsequent years and even now. People who are persecuted, people who are martyred, people who are killed for their faith. What can mere mortals do to me? That's That's got to be our motto, isn't it? It's got to be a motto for a Christian. What can mere mortals do? do to me God's never going to leave you God's never going to forsake you he is your helper so therefore we need not be afraid we may feel fear but we don't have to give in to that fear that's ultimately I think what we're being shown here by the example of Elijah God then provides so after this confrontation uh, the word of the Lord goes uh, comes to Elijah once more in verse 2 And he says, leave here, go eastwards and hide in the Kerith ravine east of Jordan. You'll drink from the brook. I've directed the ravens to supply you with food from there, over there. And in fact, that's what uh, he does. Where are we, by the way? Let me just give you a bit of uh, the geography of what's going on here. Uh, This is the uh, map of the area. So I don't know if you can see my mouse, but we got a place called Tishbit over here. Um, And uh, we think that the confrontation with Ahab was probably just on the west side of the Jordan. And then God sends him back probably just the east side of the Jordan. We don't know the exact spot, but somewhere just east of the Jordan uh, in a ravine there. Later on, he's going to go up to Zarephath up in the north, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, where he goes to stay with the widow and her son. But this is the general area we're talking about here, the north of Israel, not Judah in the south, but the north in Israel. Uh, Ahab was king over this area. And Elisha came from here, roughly, and operated in this general area. Now, so uh, what are we talking about in terms of ravens? Uh, here's a picture of a raven that uh, I took a few years ago. Penny and I had a holiday in uh, on an island somewhere in uh, near the Canary Islands and this these things are enormous. And Penny's Penny's going to come in and and tell us a little bit about ravens. Um, here I also took this video. What are you
1: saying? <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's our raven and right pen you got some things to show us
1: right um, amateur productions presents right how many people here think they might have seen a raven yeah they're not common what are the birds that we normally see that might look like ravens that we see in our gardens or Supermarket, garage, doors, or
0: crows, crows, crows. Oh, I'm getting it in my ear here. Crows, okay. a murder crows. of crows. A murder of crows.
1: So it, ravens are the biggest of the crow family that we have in this country, and um, and a carrion crow is the common bird that we might see, and they're all black. And I'm, I'm going to give you an idea of how big a carrion crow is. Right here we go. Right. So, so so this is a carrion crow and this is, this is life size. So this, it kind of looks quite big. If I compare it to Malcolm, right? No, big, it's about 45 centimeters from the front of the beak to its tail, which is how birds are measured. Okay. That's a really common bird. And it, but it does look rather similar to the raven, but get this right. This is the raven, right? So this is this sixty-four centimeters from the tip of his bill to the tail, and and if we put this next to Malcolm, Malcolm, you pretend to be Elijah. But that's a big bird to be waking up to and bringing your breakfast. It's scary. Um, but I I just think this is so cool because um there is a bit of mythology around most animals and plants in the Bible, and we know that. The raven was seen as a symbol of God's providence. So, it, technically it's a bird that likes carrion, it's a scavenger, um, but it will take eggs, it will take baby birds, but it, and there are lots in this country, but they tend to be more in remoter areas, the mountainous areas. Um, but it it, it also featured in, uh, for any of you Game of Thrones um, fans, it, it was the raven that took the mess in, between the different countries in that um, they can learn to speak although I don't know that they really understand but they can't as good as parrots but they can speak and they um, and they're very intelligent and, and one of the ways that they they feed is that they, um, they they store food so some birds they know how to you know when they find a good supply they'll store a bit for later and Uh, The the raven is the first bird named in the Bible. Um, Of course, Noah sent a raven out from the ark to see if there was any dry land. And then the next appearance is here where the raven is sent to take care of the prophet Elijah. So I know this is a raven and our chances of seeing them around here are pretty slim. Maybe next time you see the crow, you can be reminded of God's goodness. There we go thanks darling go back to my computer
0: she's good isn't she yeah yeah excellent thanks love the raven so this is this is what uh god is using to uh to feed elijah and uh, apparently they 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 store food like Penny said so they they hide it in cracks so they go and get that and they you know here they just imagine Penny waking up to that as Penny said and uh, here's your breakfast <laughs> it's a raven delivery uh breakfast for you and I think it's a lovely beautiful illustration of the extraordinary way in which sometimes God provides what we need without not in the way that we might have expected and how God gives us just what we need you know he was getting some meat and he had a brook to drink from Uh, bread and meat they were bringing him it's not it's not gourmet uh, cuisine here it may not be what he normally ate for breakfast uh, or what he normally drank but it is enough for what he needs and I think if we reflect on it one of the things that helps us to stay grateful as a Christian is to reflect on what God has provided and supplied already. You may be feeling the lack of some things, a lack of money, a lack of energy, a lack of good health, a lack of whatever it is right now, but what has God supplied? And I I was just thinking about this, even just this morning when I was out um, having a prayer, just how I feel like this congregation, the Watford Church, for me is my, um, it's my, what is it, the place, my, my Kerith Ravine. I think it is, you know? I think it's it's my it's my Kerith Ravine that is the Watford Church, a place where God has provided, a place where God has supplied. God has supplied friends. He supplied me with wisdom from so many of you. He supplied me with support. He supplied me with friendship, comfort, uh, especially you know while my, while my mother was ill and then died. Um, comfort has come my way. Uh, material blessings from some of you that have been so kind to help out with things. Um, to me so so you are the ravens in my life <laughs> maybe that's one of the ways to look at it i think you know we we are the, the god's ravens in each other's lives aren't we we're providing each other through god gives through us the encouragement we need that the, the one another christianity that's such a prominent feature of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, confess your sins to one another. Uh, I mean, how many of those one another scriptures are there? It's doing this, it's doing that, that makes us able to experience God's compassion, God's supply, God's provision, God's kindness comes through his modern day ravens. And in so many ways, that's what we are for each other. And I'm really grateful that God has put me in this uh, Kerith ravine along with all of you beautiful ravens. What What a joy that is. So we see first of all here God's kindness. Let's never lose sight of how kind God is even in the middle of a challenge like Elijah is facing right here. Secondly, Secondly, the second part of the chapter and most of it is from verse seven, which is the story about the widow and her son. And secondly here, after seeing God's kindness highlighted, I think we're seeing God's power highlighted. And so where does um, God send Elijah? Sends him to Zarephath. That is enemy territory. This is not Israel anymore. This is outside Israel up in the north. And it's the place where Queen Jezebel comes from and you must have heard that name and that's Ahab's wife. Ahab's intensely wicked. Jezebel is on a whole nother level even above him. So she is not an Israelite. She's not a worshipper of Yahweh. She's a worshipper of Baal. She's trying to kill all the prophets. She's actively trying to kill all the people of God or God's leaders. So that's where... That's where God sends Elijah into the heart of the depths of the darkest bowels of the beast is where he is being sent and who does he go and find there? A widow. It's interesting that he's sent to a widow and there's lots we could say about this but I'll just mention a couple of things. Elijah is sent to the poorest person in the whole of society. He is sent to The most vulnerable in that society. A widow was even more vulnerable than a slave, because at least a slave had an owner who was meant to take care of them. But a widow had no one except God. And there were laws, of course, for the Israelites about looking after the widows, but this is a Gentile. This is in a a foreign land. And so they often did not have the same kind of protection that they would have done, hopefully, in Israel. So Yahweh is demonstrating by supplying the the what what the widow is challenged to, to do where she's just gathering sticks she hasn't even got any charcoal she's gathering random sticks and elijah says i want it, i want some food and she says well i haven't got anything and he says well just do it by faith and he's calling on yahweh a god she doesn't know to for her to trust him a prophet of a of a, of a foreign god from her perspective and uh and she knows it is Yahweh by the way because in verse 12 she says as surely as the Lord your God lives as Yahweh your God lives so she knows it's it's Yahweh not Baal that she's actually being asked to trust here God Yahweh is demonstrating God is demonstrating that he is able to provide for his prophet Elijah when Baal cannot provide for the people who worship him Baal is not providing for the widow but Yahweh is going to provide and is going to show his kindness to a vulnerable non-israelite it's quite radical when you think about it in that culture in that day so we see that faith is um, rewarded isn't that the lesson here i think it is faith is rewarded we see a growing faith in the widow she knows it's the god of yahweh but she doesn't have any reason to trust the god of yahweh but she does what elijah asks and she is called to faith twice firstly by using all of her resources to, to bake make some food and secondly by letting Elijah take the son when he dies and take him he carries him upstairs to his room twice twice the widow is challenged to trust and have faith not over small matters like starvation is not a small matter the death of your son not a small matter life and death are at stake here and yet she has faith and I find this really challenging here is a person of Baal A person, not an Israelite, a person who doesn't know this God, trusting God, trusting God's man, trusting the word of God coming through somebody. And I think how how often I struggle to really trust God. How often I struggle to trust him for prayers I've prayed many times. For situations that I don't, I can't control, I can't change. Situations in church, situations in family, situations in the world. That I just believe God would want to see different and yet I I don't have the power to all I can do is pray and I find you know this this thing challenges me her faith is extraordinary a great um a great inspiration and her faith is rewarded God is found to be real and powerful he looks after his prophet he feeds Elijah of course He looks after the vulnerable, the widow, and indeed her son. And God looks after the Gentiles here. It's it's a real challenge to our faith. And indeed, this um, bringing back to life of the boy is the first example in the Bible of someone dying and being brought back from death it's not like Elijah has done this before it's not like he's seen it done before no prophet has done it before no man of God has done it before I mean I I, I know I would find it extraordinary even if I had seen it before but for Elijah and for the whole history of his people never been done before God's power becomes available is manifested and blesses people because of faith because of trust Much comes from little in this chapter. Much comes from little. A lot of food from a little oil and a little flour. Much life from a dead body. It's extraordinary. I want to conclude this point by just thinking about prayer. As I I talked earlier about how significant prayer is and the fact that Elijah's prayer life is highlighted in the New Testament. And let's look at his prayer here as he prays over the dead boy he carries him to his upper room and first of all it says in verse 20 he cried out to the Lord and a second time uh, he cries out in verse 21 he cried out to the Lord firstly in his prayer we see passion he's passionate in his prayer secondly we see honesty because he cries out to the Lord Lord my God, have you brought this tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Is it you, God? Have you caused him to die? He's honest. He's not like, God, I'm sure you'll take care of it. I know you love everybody. You know, let's just sort this out. He's like, God, did did you do this? There's a questioning going on there. I like his honesty. The third thing we see about his prayer is he's persistent because it says he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord you know I'd be tempted he's stretching himself out once that didn't work I've prayed God is God now I'll do it a second time all right he stretches himself out a second time we don't know exactly why he did this there isn't really any precedent in the culture of the day but anyway he does it he stretches himself out over the way second time that's twice now still nothing what does he do he doesn't give up okay third time stretches himself out three times and cries to the lord begs god for this young boy's life he's persistent and then he sees and the woman sees and the boy will be aware later as he grows up of the miracle that god did god was listening god was preparing to be active i i I wonder as i read this and think about this and the nature of god I wonder what my life would be like if I really trusted that he could do what I haven't seen. I haven't seen, what would, like, what would it be like if God did what I cannot and you cannot? What would it be like if God did what I haven't seen and you have never seen? What would it be like if God did more than we can imagine, I can imagine and you can imagine? Wouldn't God get the glory? The woman says at the end of this in verse 24, now i know that you are a man of god and that the word of the lord from your mouth is the truth now i know now i know elijah you could say was being evangelistic here by what he did going to the widow and doing what he did he didn't know that was the purpose of all this when he started out but god said go go over there and you know i'll be with you and then he's fed and he performs the miracles, and. God gets the glory. And a woman, a Gentile, vulnerable woman in a foreign land now knows who God is. Reminds me of the centurion when Jesus is crucified in Matthew 27. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. It was the sacrifice the trusting sacrifice of Jesus trusting his father that led to others being able to see and to know that he was the son of God so for you and me how do we live this well you and i got to figure that out for our own lives because your life of faith will be a little bit different from mine but at least part of it is figuring out how can I live by faith how can I live in obedience to God's word to me even if it doesn't make sense, even if I can't see a positive outcome, even if it costs me, even if it means significant sacrifice, such that then God could use that to to show others that he's real. What would that look like in your life this week? It's very clear in this passage, and it's emphasized, that following God's word leads to to God adequately supplying enough safety and enough support. To his people to Elijah and to the widow in this case and it's partly at least because Elijah had a strong identity in God that he was able to take those if you like faith risks Elijah in Ephesians 2 verse 10 we're told that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do in second Peter chapter 1 verse 4 we looked at recently you may remember we're told that uh, through the promises we've been given, we participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We have a new identity. We are the royal priesthood, the holy, the children of God. Because of that identity, that, that, and the Spirit of Jesus in us gives us the confidence to trust Him, to share our faith, to pray persistently to forgive those who hurt us, to forgive even our enemies, to, uh, to be patient with one another and other people, uh, to live out the fruit of the spirit, to live out the Beatitudes, to be a peacemaker, uh, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to, uh, to resist the temptations of sin, and, not, you know, like, and like Joseph to suffer the consequences, rather, and, or Moses to suffer the consequences of righteousness rather than enjoy the short-term pleasures of sin like Jesus we do our best for God even though it may hurt and may cause problems for us you and I are Christ followers we're people trying to be in a sense like Elijah someone who takes God at his word is there something in your life right now where you can sense God's trying to get my attention to live by faith trusting him rather than go the easy way the way that I've always gone here's some questions for us to think about this week how is your sense of identity in Christ? Do you feel secure that you are a child of God, that Jesus loves you desperately, the Holy Spirit is with you, that God is your Heavenly Father, he is your Abba and you are safe with him? How strong is your identity in Christ and what could you do to strengthen it if it's a bit weak? Secondly, in this passage, who do you identify with most and why? Might be worth taking some time to reflect on this. Do you identify with Ahab do you identify with the widow or the son do you identify with Elijah Uh, do you identify with the ravens maybe who do you identify with most from this passage what is God in what way is God speaking to you through these characters second thing thirdly who could you be a raven to who could you be God's supply Supply of encouragement, supply of comfort, supply of maybe material things. I don't know. Who could you be a raven to this week to, to show God's kindness to? That's the third thing. And fourthly, is this someone or something to confront by faith? Going back to the beginning of the chapter, Elijah went to Ahab, the king, and confronted him and said, this is not right. Is this someone to confront? A fellow Christian, a member of your family, um, a work colleague, a stranger maybe, I mean doing it in love, in love not out of anger but is there someone to confront with some truth or is there something to confront in terms of truth in yourself, to face up to something and say this isn't right in my life. I need to let God's truth speak to the temptations I'm struggling with, the sin that I've indulging in is there anything there to to take let let god take the fight to that sin with you and work work just work together to allow god to purify you so that you can be useful to god and be close to god in the way that god's always intended and planned and hoped and dreamed uh, that you that you indeed would be some things for us to to think about there uh, at the end of all this so uh wrapping up Wrapping up, I would just say this, that we are so blessed and so fortunate to, to have someone to follow, to have Jesus to follow, who was willing to live in, in a similar way to Elijah. Someone willing to tra- take take God at his word and, and pay the ultimate price for doing, for doing for us what would show us God's kindness and show us God's power. Showing us God's kindness by dying on the cross for our sins, showing us his grace and showing us God's power because by his willing sacrifice he then created the circumstances for God to show his power by raising Jesus from the dead to demonstrate his power over death and the conquest over sin. God's kindness and God's power are ours in Jesus and are ours to enjoy ours to enjoy and to live in and through that to show the rest of the world god's kindness and god's power i hope these thoughts have been helpful as we come now to take bread and wine let's reflect on these as lisa will now lead us in prayer